This episode of the Model Railway Show is made possible with the support of the National Model Railroad Association. With one of the world's largest railroad libraries at your fingertips, we make it even more fun. Welcome to the Model Railway Show, the fun, informative podcast that won't stop you in your tracks. I'm Trevor Marshall, and with this edition, we are celebrating a special milestone. That's right, Trevor. Hi, everyone. I'm Jim Martin, and this is our 50th episode of the little podcast that could. We're glad to have you with us as the Model Railway Show hits the half-century mark. In our past shows, we've had a who's who of the hobby on. We've had Al McClellan, Tony Custer, Paul Scholes, Paul Dokos, Lance Mindheim, Jack Burgess, Boone Morrison, the list goes on. But today, our two special interviews are with people whose names you may not have heard, but who deserve to be known. We're dedicating our half-century show to the young and those who encourage them. Later on, Trevor will talk with Greg Amer, a man who's not scared to have young hands and fine-scale models in the same room. But first, here's Jim with a young man who recently made NMRA history. Last year, about this time, Trevor spoke with the National Model Railroad Association's Jerry Leone about his journey to becoming an MMR, a Master Model Railroader. It's not something you have to have to enjoy the hobby, but it certainly brings distinction. And even if you don't wish to append your name with the initials MMR, the journey is still worth considering for the benefits of the chase, broadening and improving one's modeling and social skills. As was noted a year ago, a lot of us old-timers in the hobby may have already done the requisite stuff to become an MMR, so why not go for it? Well, forget the old guys. It turns out getting an MMR is kid stuff. Although, in fairness to my next guest, Joel Priest, Joel can hardly be called a kid. He's a very accomplished young man who just recently became Master Model Railroader number 503 at the ripe old age of 12. He's with us now. Hey, Joel, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Now, I know I talked to your dad, Stephen, on the show last year about the NMRA archives. I'm going to bet he and your mom are pretty proud of what you've done. Yes, they are. They're extremely proud. How did you find out that you got your MMR? Did someone phone you or email you or what? Frank Koch emailed my dad, and then my dad showed it to me. What was your reaction? How did you feel about it? I felt great. I finally finished this daunting task. Now, I hope your folks got you a cake or or took you out to dinner or something to celebrate. What happened after you found out you had your MMR? We went to Outback Steakhouse. Outback Steakhouse. Well, that's one of my favorite spots to go to after a train show, so good for you. And uh, you're no longer 12, though, are you? You just turned 13 a few weeks ago? Yes, January 11th. January 11th. Well, a happy birthday to you. I, I hope your birthday didn't kind of get caught up in the celebration about getting your MMR. Did you get something special from your mom and dad for becoming an MMR? Did you get a gift? Yes, or? I did. What did you get? I went to Cocoa Beach, and then after that, we went to Disney. Oh, cool. I know you went to Cocoa Beach, but I didn't know about the Disney part. Did you take some models to Cocoa Beach? You're talking about the prototype seminar down there, right? The RPM? Yeah, but I did not take any models down. Okay, not this time around, eh? No. Okay. So what about your birthday? Did it get swallowed up, or did you get something for your birthday, too? No, my parents especially planned a cake for me. Okay, great stuff. When you started out to get your MMR, did you have a goal? Was it important to you that you got it before you became a teenager? Yes, it was especially important. I was wanting to be a preteen before I got it. Okay, well, when did you start doing it? When did you start working towards your MMR? About three years ago. So you'd have been, what, nine years old then? Yeah, around nine, ten. And what categories did you complete to earn your MMR? I completed nine, but there was only seven that you were supposed to get. But you did nine? Yes. Association volunteer, 
Model Railroad Engineer Civil, Model Railroad Engineer Electrical, Chief Dispatcher, Master Builder Cars, Locomotives, Structure, Scenery, Model Railroad Author, and I got nine out of the 11 certificates. I've got some catching up to do, kid. You know that? <laughs> now, I've seen, I've seen your writing, too. I've seen your writing in the NMRA magazine, and you are a very accomplished modeler and a pretty good writer, so uh, congratulations on that. Thank uh, you very much. What were your favorite parts about doing your MMR? You can't have liked all of those nine things equally. What did you like doing more than others? My favorite parts were the hands-on building achievements, like the... Master builders, structures, and cars and locomotives. But my favorite part was scratch building my box cab. Your box cab? Oh, a box cab locomotive. Yes. I got to get my MMR so I know what a box cab is. <laughs> Any least favorite parts? How about the paperwork? That must have felt like homework at times. Is there a lot of paperwork to getting an MMR? Yeah, the paperwork did seem like homework at times, but I achieved most of that by doing it on rainy days or hot summer days, so I didn't really have to miss anything. Okay. Well, good time management. So what has this taught you about the hobby, Joel, getting your MMR? It has taught me a lot. It has taught me how to wire a railroad, how to scratch build switches, how to scratch build a locomotive and cars, how to build structures and see how they work. It has taught me a lot. Yeah. This is stuff you'd have probably learned along the way anyway, but this just all accelerated it for you, didn't it? Yes, it did. So what have you learned about yourself taking this journey then? I learned that I need to divide my time into separate projects instead of working on a whole bunch of things at once. That helps a lot. Well, here's your chance to be a mentor, Joel. What would you say to old guys who have been in the hobby a long time who don't think they have what it takes? What would you say to guys like that? I would say there's a lot of people who can help you and divide your project into smaller projects. That way it doesn't seem that much of a deal. Now, many modelers do plan to get their MMR after they've done everything else in the hobby. They may deliberately wait until they're older or even retired. You did yours at the very start of your life in the hobby. Now, what do you want to do next now that you've accomplished your MMR? kind of funny. Last night, I earned my first class rank in Boy Scouts, and I want to stay in this troop until I reach my eagle. All right. So you're not just a one-trick pony. You've got a lot of interests. You're oh, yes. Member I've of got this. a lot of stuff to work on as well. Okay. Are there badges and scouts for model railroading or some equivalent hobby activity? Yes, there is. And in Atlanta, Georgia, I'm going to be working on that as well. Good for you. I think by now you probably know what the word mentor means. Now, your dad is pretty highly placed in the hobby and knows a lot of special people, and your mom is also a master model railroader along with your dad, am I right? Yes. Well, those are pretty good mentors to have, be living under the roof with you. Are there any other special people in the hobby that you'd like to thank for helping you reach your MMR? Yes, there is. There is quite a few. Aaron McClelland, Otto Brower, Charlie Stapleton, Rick McClelland, Gary Hankins, John Vandenberg, Joe Robinson, Miles Hale, Pat Harriman, Tony Custer, Larry Tiffany, and last but not least, my mom and dad. Excellent. That's quite a list of friends you've got there, Joel, and we're going to be looking for great things in the years ahead from you. You're going to be a great contribution to the hobby. Got any career ambitions in the NMRA? I haven't really looked yet. Yeah, well, you've got a lot of time yet. Joel Priest, you've done something really special. I know your mom and dad are really excited about it, and I know you're over the moon with it. So congratulations, Joel, and thanks for joining us here today on the Model Railway Show. Pleasure to be here. Thank you.
Well, thanks, guys. You know, Joel really makes me feel like an underachiever. Oh, me too. You know, this is very clever. You get your MMR before your teens. You've got that out of the way. That gives you a good 10 years for girls and cars. That's right. Why yeah. get it out of the way? Yes. No, congratulations, Joel. You did a fantastic job, and it's great to have you on the show. Too. Hanging out with the right crowd, isn't he? Better crowd than I am. Well... I just want to do a few shout-outs here. First of all, Brooke Stover, who's, I think, been our last couple of interviews, or at least not too far back, his layout showed up in the January-February narrow-gauge and short-line gazette. He's everywhere, covers. isn't he? Yeah. And I think this might be the first time a standard-gauge railway has made the cover of the gazette, although it is, it's a short-line railway. So and I'm sure someone will email us and let us know whether you're wrong. Exactly. Speaking <laughs> of emails, John Landis has been in touch with me to let me know that... Now, John, we talked to back in October about his... 7 eighths scale Illinois Tunnel Company. That's the underground yes, thing. Yes, beautiful work that. Well, part three is coming up in the March-April gazette, oh, oh, so look for that. You know? That's the buildings he's doing up top. Yes, yes seven he's talking scale, about yeah. that and they're it, going to be huge. If he ever breaks up the layout, he can just sell them as garden sheds or bus shelters or something. <laughs> and I had the pleasure of seeing uh, last episode's guest, Dave Frary, at the big show in Springfield, the Amherst Train Show. Went up and introduced myself to him. He was at the Blue Ribbons booth. A couple of things I wanted to mention about Dave last time around somehow forgot he really is quite the guy he was a nasa photographer he's also an award-winning barbecue chef if you go to his website you can actually get an ebook on his barbecuing techniques also there's a, a, a video available on his lobstering in new england wow yeah what a about? real renaissance man <laughs> didn't he though yeah so <laughs> quite the thing you know i'm just going to have to distract the listeners now because they're going to think that we're real underachievers talking about joel and dave and that so listen folks the best way to listen Listen to the show is by signing up for a free podcast subscription. You can find us on iTunes, podcast.com, and podfeed.net, and you'll never miss an episode. Trevor's turn now as he speaks to the kind of man this hobby needs more of. Take it away, Trevor. This hobby, like many others, is full of collected wisdom. Some of it is quite useful, such as make sure you can reach all of your track for maintenance. But some has been canonized simply because, well, that's the way it's always been done. Here's an example for you. Kids aren't interested in switching, they just want to see the trains run. Well, when I think of the problem-solving challenges that kids must overcome in any video game, I'm forced to question that assumption. Sometimes when I go on layout tours, I see a really fine layout built by a model railway enthusiast and his adult friends. And then over in one corner, there's the so-called kids' layout, barely a step above Thomas or Lego. And I have to wonder how the kids feel about this. Wouldn't it be better to include them in our very adult hobby from the start? And can it be done? While thinking about this, I came across a neat blog for one of my favorite styles of model railway, the modestly sized prototype-based switching layout. It's called the Industrial Lead, and we'll have a link to it on our website, themodelrailwayshow.com, so be sure to check it out. The blogger is Greg Amer. He's a professional railroader, an engineer with BNSF in the Seattle area, and his HO scale layout is designed to recreate a portion of the job he does each day. That alone would be reason to have him on the show to talk about his particular form of busman's holiday. But what really nailed the deal for me was a comment in the About section of his blog. Under a photo of Greg and his two young sons, Patrick and Lorenzo, he writes, and I quote, My personal goal for this layout is to keep my boys interested in trains. I want them to participate in construction and operations. Much will be beyond their skill level, so it will be a learning process. As soon as I read that, I knew I wanted to have Greg on the show to talk about it. And here he is. Greg Amer, welcome aboard. Well, thanks for having me. Let's start with you. How long have you been working on the railroad? I've been with the railroad BNSF 10 years. 
three years as a conductor and seven years as an engineer. Okay, so you really have a fair bit of experience then that you're going to be bringing to your model railway, don't you? Oh, yeah. It helps to see the tracks every day and see the industries and, you know, the locomotives and the cars and where you're at and what's happening. It makes the prototype aspect of modeling a lot easier, that's for sure. What you're doing then is building a shelf layout in a room that's about 9 by 13 feet, and you're focusing on an area of Seattle called the Hole, which you've worked in real life as an engineer for BNSF. Tell me a little bit more about the Hole. There's two industries in the Hole. There's a cargo corn syrup, which is a two tracks of seven spots each, and maximum petroleum has three tracks with nine spots on each of them. It's all tank cars, and each of these spots are not exactly interchangeable, so you got to do a lot of digging and rearranging to get the cars where they need them every time. You've so, got different grades of corn syrup and different grades of petroleum that have to go into certain spots. Is that it? That's right. There's different grades and different products as far as the petroleum is concerned, too. What attracts you to that as a subject for a layout, then? It's the job that everybody loves to hate, but they really love doing. Executing it can be a real pain, but uh, everybody likes to come up with a solution because it's just like a giant puzzle. And when you get down there, it's like working inside of a box because you're sandwiched in between these buildings with crossings on each side and cars flying everywhere. So it's a pretty hectic thing to actually switch it out. And it's a pretty involved process to come up with a plan to do it efficiently and safely and correctly. I enjoy doing it, and as much as people don't enjoy doing it, they actually love coming with the plan to do it, so that's what I thought would be fun to recreate that. I guess it must be particularly challenging because you can't just say we're moving the yellow box car because all the tank cars would look alike from your perspective in the engineer's seat, wouldn't it? Exactly. It gets challenging, and in you know, real life there's actually other challenges. you got traffic coming all over the place. The challenge puzzle-wise is that you have these different spots and you're basically arranging a bunch of cars that look exactly alike and trying to figure out where they go and remember what you got where as you're doing this can be a big challenge. So easy to get confused. Let's talk about the layout then. You've been working on this for a little while and I noticed reading your blog that you've been building using Pico turnouts, but now you're currently doing some tests with parts from Proto 87 stores. We actually had Andy Reichardt from Proto 87 stores on the show recently to talk about those, but you're building some number eight and number 10 turnouts. How's that going? Are you planning to do the switch to fine scale track work? I think I am. <laughs> it's a good learning curve. A lot of it's not exactly hand constructed. You know, I've bought a jig from Andy. It's basically lay out the ties and lay in the tie plates and then feed the rail in. It takes time and it takes a lot of attention to get it straight and true. I did my first one, and it didn't come out as I expected, and I'm starting on my second one now, so I'm hoping to continue on with the Proto 87 standard, if I can make it work out, and that's the plan. I think that provides our listeners with a good idea of the approach that you're taking to the hobby. Obviously, you're well-informed by your work on the prototype, and you're trying to recreate something to a high standard in your train room. I think it's pretty fair to say most people in the hobby would not think of the type of layout you're building when they think of ways to encourage kids to get involved in model railroading. So let's talk a bit about that. You've got two young boys, Patrick and Lorenzo. Patrick's the young one. He's four and Lorenzo's six. Okay, four and six and Proto 87. Are they already keen on the trains? They are. They've grown up, you know, with Thomas. We've always had some kind of trains going on. You know, I started this hobby to build a Christmas train when the first son was born. We do a little train spotting here and again. We're all Three of us are in an N-Track club, and we run trains at the shows and such, so they like it. Well, I think it's really interesting that you're also getting them involved in your layout, and you're at the construction stage, obviously. You're busy doing Proto 87 track work, and you're busy building the layout. How do you approach this? What sort of tasks can you get Patrick and Lorenzo involved with on the layout? They don't have the fine motor skills like you. Well, 
I don't have the fine motor skills, but they can get involved in a lot of things. They've helped me nail the home bed in and glue it in and nail up the skyboards. They help with painting the road bed. Patrick helped me put the brackets up by ratcheting on all the bolts into the wall. Of course, I had to drive them home, but they like to get in on the task. Just yesterday, I had them help me lay out the ties for the Proto 87 switch that we're starting here. So I'm thinking I'm going to have them try to put the tie plates on. I'll see. I'll see how that goes. But it's usually easier if only one of them is working at a time because you need to supervise them and coach them along pretty intensively. But I guess also they want to do a good job because they want to make you proud as dad, right? Oh, yeah, they do. They probably approach things fairly carefully. Yeah, they do. I imagine that there's lots of lessons that kids can learn about, even things like using tools and how to work safely that you can teach to them. Has the goal of getting your kids involved changed how you approach construction? For example, are you using more hand tools than you might if you were building it yourself? I don't think so. I mean, of course, they can't really use the power tools and such, but... I do have smaller tools just because I know it's easier for them to use a smaller hammer and smaller pliers and such. They learn to use the tools, and, you know, I don't love them use the power tools. That's kind of my domain, or the soldering iron. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, we don't want to get anybody in trouble here. But you've obviously decided that this is a really good approach to get kids involved with an adult, sophisticated layout, as opposed to sort of farming them off to the corner and building a kid's layout out of Lego or whatever. Why is that? Why do you feel this is an important thing to do with your kids that way? When I started doing this hobby, I kind of secluded myself into the room and locked the door. and It wasn't any fun, and I wanted the kids to be involved. We actually did build the kids' layout. We built that a couple of years ago and brought it to the preschool a few times now to show the other kids. And They've just been interested in trains, and I wanted them to have the experience to actually have a nice switching layout because those little roundy round layouts get pretty boring pretty quick and I've noticed when I do take them to the N-Track and one-track shows, they like to do the switching. They like to run the trains and do the switching, so it's kind of how I approached it. I wanted them to have fun, too, and it's not as much fun doing it by yourself, so get the kids. They're here. <laughs> so it's a good social activity with them, and I'm sure lots of hobbyists would agree with that. I guess there's also a lot of lessons that you can impart to them while building a layout, even things like it's an opportunity to teach them about how electricity works. Definitely. There's some of the general knowledge you know, what is square, what is level, those things that come up, measuring and why it's important to make sure we get things the right measurement. And we haven't really touched the electrical yet. I think, well, actually, we've done a little bit of crimping, and Patrick's helping with that, crimping connectors here and there. But actually, maybe I should probably do a little bit of incorporation of the general knowledge lessons, I guess. More of it's practical knowledge right now, but maybe that will rub off some. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's a nice way to learn these things. Learning what square is is a whole lot easier if you're doing it with layout bench work as opposed to you know trying to describe it or draw it on a piece of paper, right? That's true, yeah. Okay. It does help them, I think, to learn those kind of a... What about some of the practical problems? Your boys are, as you said, they're four and six years old, so they're, well, they're pretty short, right? They're probably, they might be tall for a four or six-year-old, yeah. but compared to us, they're short. I bet they can't even see a layout built at an adult height, <laughs> <laughs> so it must, must us work on it. How, how do you address that sort of issue for them? Well, yeah, that was one of the first things I thought of. They couldn't, you know, like, wouldn't be able to see it. You know, I got them ladders. They have their ladders, and they can push them around, and they fold up and stow them to the layout usually when I need to get them out of the way. And, and there's a workbench under the layout that we work on, and I bought them both their own chairs so we can all three of us sit there and work on things together, whether cars or whatever. And I'm trying to build the layout so it's accessible to them too, you know, so they can throw the switches. 
before we put the bench work in. I tested them. I had them reach and see how far they could reach standing on the ladder to see where I should be putting the track and the turnouts and such. So those are some of the considerations I was thinking of when we started, you know. Good ideas. I'm sure that many hobbyists would be hesitant, though, to combine fine-scale equipment and details with young kids. Obviously, that doesn't bother you. You're going ahead and good for you on that. Any suggestions or advice to put people at ease? Is there Has it been a problem? You know, they, they break things, but I, actually I break a lot more things than they do. I'm probably about as ham-handed as they are, <laughs> so I'm not too worried about it. You know, it's typical things, the brake piping on the tank cars or something. that Everybody breaks, you know, those things are just, it happens. But I just try to teach them, you know, touch the equipment with one finger when you're pushing it around, putting it on the track, hold onto the trucks and such like that. And I told, you know, keep your arms off the edge of the layout. And they're pretty decent at it. They're careful. They know not to be careless with things, but, you know, accidents happen and that's it. I'm not too worried about it. It's a hobby, so. I guess in the process, they learn respect for people's stuff and the value of doing something carefully, don't they? Oh, yeah, I think they do. They don't want to break things and they're, they're very careful about stuff now. Have you run into any quality control issues on the layout? What do you do as a dad if their work doesn't meet the criteria for what you want to accomplish? How do you deal with that without hurting their feelings or discouraging them from the hobby? I don't think they know this, but if, if it's not up to standard, I just do a once-over on my own without them. So, but they still feel the ownership. That's the big thing is to get them to do things. They feel like they're part of it. One of the things I've tried to do with them is let them buy their own freight cars with the N-Track Club at least, and I'll be doing it here and let them weather them themselves. And that way they have, that's my car, you know, that's the one I did. So that gives them a real sense of ownership in the layout then. When they look at it, they say, that's my car, or that's the structure I helped build, that sort of thing, eh? Exactly, yeah, that's the turnout that we worked on. To get them involved that way, I think I can easily do a little once-over to, to correct any little problems that stick out, but I think getting them involved, I think, is the staying force with the whole concept of having them participate. Not every kid has a parent who does something for work that they can do at home for fun. I, I can't imagine, there, it, there might be, but I can't imagine the children of accountants setting up a make-believe office in the backyard and having them complete their friends' tax returns. But I guess this layout is a really good way to share what you do in real life with them, isn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. At one point, they both wanted to be engineers, but now they're both definitely uh, want to be ninjas. <laughs> Maybe some sort of ninja down, engineer but... combination. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel you've got future railroaders or future model railroaders in the family then? I think they'll probably stick with at least the modeling. I don't think mom would ever let him become a railroader, but I'm sure they'll stick with the modeling. It sounds like they've got a great start on it anyway, and I applaud you for tackling an adult layout and getting your kids so well involved in it, and about then blogging about it and letting others see what you're doing. So, Greg, thanks for joining me on the Model Railway Show today, and good luck with the layout. I look forward to reading future postings. Okay, well, thank you, Trevor. Trevor, I admire Greg for his attitude. Don't be scared of letting kids get close. What's the worst that can happen? Well, you know, as Greg mentioned in the interview, Patrick and Lorenzo both want to grow up to be ninjas. So I just had this mental picture of the layout getting drop kicked some point. So, <laughs> But I like his attitude of sharing. I think doing this kind of thing with kids is a bit like taking a display layout to his show. You have to be of the attitude, I can build it, I can fix it if need be. 
I can't let it ride me. Yeah, and I've always found, frankly, that if kids are told ahead of time that what they're working with is valuable, not in terms of money, but in terms of the effort that someone has put into it, they're often more careful than the adults. Yeah, we don't give them enough credit, and especially if it's their effort. So, Greg, good work for uh, having your kids involved in the hobby that way and and not dumbing it down for them. I think that's fantastic. If you want to see some photos of what Greg has done, be sure to check out our Flickr gallery. You'll find that and more interesting links on themodelrailwayshow.com. And as long as we're sending you places, how about running away from winter's chill and heading to the desert? The 10th Annual Rails in the Garden Layout Tour, March 2nd and 3rd in Tucson, Arizona. Just don't step on anything spiny or poisonous. Well, next time out, Jim braids dog hair into S-scale cable, and I tenderize an Atherin Blue Box freight car with a two-pound hammer. Our thanks to the rest of the crew, Dave Woodhead, along with Chris Abbott and Otto Vondrack. They've been with us since show number one, so a happy 50th to them as well. For Trevor, I'm Jim. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time on the Model Railway Show.